Welcome to the Positive Education Podcast with Ash Manuel. As we know, the number one hot topic in the world is mental well-being. Ash has worked with close to 1,000 organisations impacting more than a quarter of a million people, including schools, sports teams and businesses across 45 countries. Today, Ash is regarded as a global thought leader in positive education. In this podcast, you'll hear stories, information and actionable ideas from positive education and well-being experts. The purpose of the podcast is so that you take away ideas that you can execute in your classroom, across your school, at your sports club and in your organisation, plus tips and tricks that you can apply in your own life. Hey everyone, I'm Ash Manuel and today I'm talking with Holly Seabold. Holly believes everyone deserves to live a happy, healthy and successful life. It's what gets her out of bed each morning. It's also the driving force for her, behind her working with readiness. Holly is a devoted wife and mother, mother to three adolescent girls and is passionate about creating generations of resilient people. This encompasses students, teachers, business leaders, employees and families that are empowered to live their best lives and do their best work. She's a fully qualified teacher specialising in PE with, her, with more than 15 years experience teaching both junior and senior years. Her extensive career has seen her gain experience across a variety of industries, including hospitality, health and fitness, business and administration. Her experience that sees her work with a range of different people and personalities. On a personal note, Holly loves good food and entertaining with friends and family. Autumn is her season of choice. Rom-coms are her go-to movies. Surfing is her newfound passion and music can determine her mood. You can catch her belting out a song at the traffic lights as well as curling up with a good book and sipping on an almond chai latte. Not a bad choice, Holly. Thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast today, Holly. Thanks, Ash. I'm, uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for asking me to come on. No, absolute pleasure. And um, it's great to have educators and uh, particularly those passionate about well-being on the podcast. And we love to learn off our guests, which we're certainly going to do today. So, Holly, what I'd love to ask, first of all, is how you got into education, a bit about your background, about how you came to be um, here today involved in education and particularly around the wellbeing side. Um, I guess when I think about um, how I became a teacher, it goes back to growing up in Canberra and um, I'm a kinesthetic learner. So I was always drawn to sport and in, you know, in school, I was always drawn to my PE teachers and sort of the the things that, you know, had hands-on where you were learning as you did, it was all action-based. So I come from a family um, where sports are fairly central part of um, our lives. We played summer and winter sports growing up. And from that, there's so many things that you learn um, as a person, like you learn your social connections, your resilience, your teamwork and empathy and mindset. And I I wouldn't say that I was an academic um, student. I was definitely someone who enjoyed the um, more hands-on part of teaching. So when I finished school, I went to a traineeship of sport and rec um, and then tacked on some mash arts therapy and gym instruction because I loved teaching in that space where you actually got to do a lot of things. Um, I worked with sports teams and in gyms. um, And then I met my husband in 1998 who was a professional sports person and my brother was also a professional sports person. So my life sort of pivoted to 
a life where we we traveled a lot with his career um and then i decided that i really wanted to do something that i could be a mum i could do it anywhere in the world and teaching just seemed to be that natural you know step i loved working with people i loved being able to give people skills and an ability to learn and um, teaching is one of those careers luckily that you can do anywhere and I went back to uni and studied primary school teaching with a PE specialisation yep. and basically spent the next 15 years teaching across Australia and the UK and then um, yeah across all different fields I started off with GCSE PE so senior PE then went to early years PMP at the perception motor program up to year four and then um I think my passion though lies with the year five, six classrooms. I love that area the most. And I guess that's when wellbeing became a real focus because I was in Melbourne with my husband and he was at the Melbourne Storm. And um, we had the um, privilege of having Hugh from the Resilience Project come in and speak to the partners of players and staff. And um, I've heard you talk about it before as well, that aha moment of where you think this is, this is what I want to do with children I mm. I wanted to give that message and like it was just sort of it really resonated with me so I you know when that's what I want children to learn that's what I want them to be able to leave school with life skills the skills that you know you don't get from a book you get from that proactive approach of doing so I had a great principal um, at St Mary's and we had just implemented a wellbeing program into the school um, where it was mornings, you sort of had that time to do something in the class. And um, I sort of took on some of the concepts that Hugh discussed. And yeah, that really, that sort of really cemented my passion into wellbeing in education. And then, um, yeah, springboarded into my business of innate resilience that I did with um, Lindsay for a couple of years and now into readiness where I am um, now there as well. But yeah, that that's sort of a, a quick timeline of where yeah. I got from, you know, sport up to um, the present day. Absolutely, that's amazing. I love those. Love hearing people's stories and um, finding out how they got to where they are in that the current situation. That's actually very similar to mine in a way. Like I was came out of school, did a sport and rec traineeship, didn't lead to anything. So I actually went back and finished off school because I didn't actually finish school. Then fumbled my way through a bit and having a sporting background as well, really wanted to be an AFL footballer and didn't quite make it. And then thought, well, I love PE, love sport. So I ended up doing the whole primary school teaching, specialising physical education as well. And then ended up going, discovering the wellbeing path and going down that as well. So very similar stories and just out of interest um, and for my benefit, but also for um, any listeners, who, um, what, what, what sport did your husband play where you uh, took you around? So rugby league. So he, um, he played rugby league uh, where we met in Canberra yep. and then we moved over to London where he played in the Super League over there and we through injury we came back to Australia and he's a teacher as well funnily enough so now um, through that process sort of we he kept playing and then we went overseas so it was back and forth over about an 11 year period we were sort of back and forth from clubs um, in the UK and Australia but he's um, he's a ferocious learner he's someone who is always looking at best practice. So his passion in teaching has led him into coaching because he believes that the best coaches are teachers, yep. not necessarily a trained teacher, but someone who like a, a coach's job is to teach players how to be the best version of themselves mm. and how to tap into that. So, you know, that's something that he's really passionate about. And I guess we have some great conversations because I come with it at a well-being angle of, yeah, you can have this on the field, but how do you then 
you know, off the field and, you know, how do they, the mind and how it all works. So yeah, that's, um, we always have a, a fun conversation over the yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, background of wellbeing. Yeah. And in that introduction where you mentioned about like the whole learning the skills of, I think you mentioned empathy and gratitude and these, and these kind of skills, you can, there's no better place to actually learn through sport. And I totally agree. And I've worked with a few sporting clubs as well. And we talk about um, how you can implement those skills in the actual sport, but then also in life in general as well. And they just correlate so beautifully. And I, and I think, um, yeah, going by what you're saying, you've experienced that as well. And I think um, sport is one of the best ways we can learn some really important I, skills of wellbeing. Yeah, and I, I agree because sport is one place that you're allowed to fail safely. Hmm. And I have a, a real issue with failure being seen as a bad thing. Like I yeah. see failure as a stepping stone to, because once you've, okay, I won't have to do that again because I know that that one doesn't work. So that one will try something different. So failure to me is a gift because it has one less thing that you don't have to try or don't have to worry about because you've, you know it doesn't work. So sport is that amazing thing of at the end of the game, you shake hands, you learn how to lose graciously and win graciously. Yep. And in life, a lot of the time, we don't have that opportunity. So for me, sport just has so many lessons and connection, especially team sports. For me, connection is a major, major um, pillar of well-being. It, it is sort of, especially after the pandemic and everything we've gone through with COVID, connection to me is just so vital. And you have that in a team sport. You have a group of people around you who are like-minded and want the same thing and you're working towards the same goal. So, yeah. Mm. Actually, I love to hear your thoughts on I'm not sure. I mean, in South Australia, I know that some lower grade levels of sport, um, for example, Australian Rules Football AFL, um, they don't keep score at the real lower levels. And they brought that in the last few years. It never was when I was growing up. It was never a thing. We always kept score and you knew what the scores at the end of the game. What, what's your thoughts on when we don't keep score, even at like that very young junior level what, what, what do you think about that because in terms of life lessons, I'm, I'm going to offend I'm probably going to offend a large group of people here I think um keeping score is vital if you can yeah. find one child in sport that isn't keeping score even when I've been a coach and even if you're not scoring they still go we won that didn't we and I'm someone who believes that keeping score is important because how do you lose how do you learn to lose graciously mm. if there's no winner or loser I think it also gives you that fire in your belly to want to be more like that mindset and optimism. If you don't have a goal to set and your goal might be, it doesn't have to be win the game, but it could be, I'm going to get three goals in or four goals in, or I'm going to do six passes. You need to be able to set small milestones. And for some teams, they might never win, but them getting a draw or them losing only by 10 is just as important because it's those goals that you know we want to move forward with. So to me, taking scoring away from a sport is not necessarily the best thing because it's a life skill. You, yeah. If we all go for a job interview, we're not all going to get the job interview. So what's the person who doesn't get it turn around and go, that's not fair. You can't tell me I can't have the job. You know, it, it's just in real life, we keep score. It may not be five, two, but it's one person gets it and six people don't. So I don't see. I don't see there's enough benefit in it to not score. And if you want to be in a sport where there's no score, then create a competition almost where yeah. it's social. It doesn't matter. But I think the lessons you learn from losing in a safe environment set you up 
for life when things don't always go your way and you have to smile and go, you know what, congratulations, you got it, I didn't. So, yeah, that's sort of, again, I come from a fairly competitive family with a lot of professional <laughs> athletes. So if we don't score, we're in some trouble. Yeah, no, I totally, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, when they first brought that rule into our school, like um, school football back in like a few years ago, like going back when I was teaching, it probably would have been around, what do you know now, 2012, 13 or 14, around there. They, I was really against it, like and sort of advocated for keeping score to our local association because of that, exactly what you said, because you learn so many life lessons through winning and losing, not everything's going to go away. Um, I kind of, if you do look at it from their point of view and you think, okay, we understand why we don't keep score, but as you say, like it outweighs the benefit of keeping score than not keeping score. So I do 100% agree with you with that. But um, Holly, what we'll do, we'll, we'll slightly um, shift our focus. So I'm really interested in finding out a bit more about um, readiness. So you mentioned before your teaching career, then um, the resilience program that you ran, and then now you're at readiness. Can you tell us a bit about readiness and what readiness is about, what the aim is there with readiness? Yeah, Readiness is a, a great organisation. When I had um, my business, we were a partner with them and they're very much a collaborative organisation. They sort of, they're trying to solve the problem, but they don't necessarily have to do it on their own. They know that a lot of people do amazing work. So Readiness mm -hmm. believes in working together and not against people who want the same results. So that was something that really drew me to the company. Their collaborative sort of mentality of how they work. Um, Basically, readiness is um, a company that has a couple of different arms, I guess. You've got readiness for business, which um, is, uh, its aim is to allow workplaces to exhibit high performance through wellbeing. That's pretty much the, yep. the nutshell of it. It's made up of um, individual and workplace factors. So they um, basically look at how the individual can our wellbeing can be um, helped through like looking at mood and different things like that. And then workplace factors of the higher up job demands and resources. So are we making them work too much? Are we not giving them the tools they need? And it's um, an online platform that basically you um, sign up to, they send you surveys. It's all based in science through um, Swinburne University, which is a really, I think, important part of wellbeing at the moment. Like you want to know that what you're doing is making a change and it's measurable. Mm. So the measurable part of it, I think, is really good. Um, and then when I came on board, they always had a passion for the readiness for schools. Um, and it, obviously the um, COVID really put a, a halt on it because schools weren't there and we couldn't get into schools to do anything with them. So the schools program is probably my passion and the boys are very passionate about it as well. Um, and it's basically looking at child mental health um, in a way, I guess a sport looks at it. Like the people that are involved in readiness are um, someone who was a professional sort of um, performance, like sports performance person through AFL, tennis, different areas, and then a big business um, with Jerry Ryan and then a tech expert with Paul. So it has a nice sort of roundedness of it's has its tech expert, yep. it has the sport. Um, so yeah, basically that's the company, but with the schools program, um, there's two things that we've started, which we launch actually next week, which is really exciting, is the teacher self-care program. Um, teachers are burnt out. They're, you know, been asked to do so much above and beyond what their actual role is. Yeah. And it was really important to us to 
give back to teachers. It's a free program that basically is an eight-week program that they can start looking at their well-being and saying, okay, I'm going to give myself a little bit of time to, you know, look look internally and what can I do? Because you can't teach resilience and well-being if you're not well yourself and you're not resilient yourself. So that's what we sort of decided to put a lot of our time to begin with. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something I just, I just think it's important, like to, you know, you can't be the best version of yourself if you can't, if no one gives you any time to be able to do it. So that is that part. And then there's the school program, which, um, you know, it's giving them the tools they need. Um, so when everyone's going to have hardship, it doesn't matter what it is, but they're all going to face it eventually. And the school's program is basically arming them with the tools they need to um, put into practice. And I know your program is very much this way as well. Starting early, I have a, um, I find that a lot of the programs that are there and they're great and they're so beneficial, but they're starting when the children are 12, 14, almost to that point where, yes, a lot of the studies are showing that that's where mental health is at its worst. Mm. But I, w- I want to take the approach to be proactive. I want yeah. our program to start in the early years and in primary school because people seem to think that younger children, it, the concepts are beyond them, but I don't think they are. Like when you talk about what makes up and we can talk about this, maybe later on, the philosophies of it, as long as we make it the language that suits them, children know how they feel. Children know, um, you know, what being a friend is or being, you know, sorry for something or understanding right from wrong. So I I think if you write a program, which is what we're planning on doing, that sits in that space where you're giving them the skills before they need them. I don't understand sometimes giving them people skills when they're in it. It's so much harder to put something in action when you're at your lowest, then being able to tap into something you've had and practiced um, when you're younger and go, okay, I might not have to do this yet, but when this, if this ever happens or when it happens, I at least have a toolkit of things that may be able to help me. So mm-hmm. that would be sort of the sort of the premise of what the readiness for schools is. And our our line, I guess, our tagline, which again resonates with what you do, is learn live and lead and Mm. that's that concept of we teach the the learn we teach them why it's important and what it's about and then you go and you live it and you actually do it and then you lead it because there's so much research to show that when you teach others how to do something it reinforces what you're doing and basically makes you revisit it. So it's that concept mm-hmm. of that beautiful learning loop of you learn it, you live it, you lead it, and you can constantly work in that space. And that's the same with the teacher program. The teachers, we teach them, they have a micro moment or a tiny habit and they live it. And then they have the skill to be able to lead it by teaching the students through the school's program as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Brilliant. I, I, what I love about what you just said is there, I don't know if you can hear this in the background, but like, seriously, what we're recording is somebody just started up a lawnmower. <laughs> so you can hear that in the background. No, it's a whippersnipper. It's just so loud. So apologies for um, anyone who's been interrupted by this <laughs> whippersnipper. But what, I, what I did like that we just said about is the why. I think it's so important to explain to students why they're learning like about things like being grateful, kind and empathetic. Like, What's the purpose of actually learning these skills? Because there's so much research out there about the benefit of being grateful as an example. But how how does it actually impact us and what the what's the purpose of how it can help our own lives but maybe the lives of others as well so i think that's one thing that can be missing sometimes in like a well-being program putting that context and modeling how they can actually use it 
in their life to help them when they come up with a, a challenge or if they're having a bad day? How can they execute what they're actually been learning to make themselves feel better or, as I said, move forward from that challenge? So I love that philosophy as well because I think um, it's really important. And you're right, like kids, like, like sponges, they do take it in. And I've heard that as well. Like it's a bit of a thing around are we starting or is it is there a um is it four or five years of age too early to start well i don't think it is either it's just as you say that language because one thing that if i'm talking with a group of five-year-olds instead of saying grateful was a bit of an introduction we change the language to maybe what are you lucky to have and they get that straight away and they list off the things that they might um if you ask what they're grateful for they list the same things but you're just using that language that they understand to start with and then obviously as you get older you just build on it you and do. you and that's the other language it's a progression absolutely and we do it in education already that's why i find it fascinating yeah. we do it in every other subject in maths in english you you know you don't go straight to pythagoras theorem yeah. you start off with the base you know it's tactile it's hands-on i mean i remember when i was a teacher in year five and six my kids loved loved actually having maths we were back using things the year ones we're using like let's work out fractions by using the blocks and yeah. i think that's what is important it's not about the concept it's making it appropriate to the age because the concept doesn't necessarily change overly it just grows and as children's emotional intelligence grows and social intelligence grows you you add more science in but it's still there at that base level like you said it's you know what am i lucky for what am i grateful for they're the same thing mm. it's just making the language appropriate to the age mm, absolutely and, and it might seem obvious but i remember back in 2014 slash 15 uh i did a research project with the university of south australia and one of those things that did come out of it it was that it was seen as the as the students got older there was um evidence to suggest that their their meaning or sorry their understanding does increase and it might seem obvious but it it was well-being so it does it does work so the obviously the younger we teach we plant that seed and then we build on it so it's such an important thing and and um teaching like equipping the students with like the skills to deal with those challenges is such a vital thing so love what what um you're doing and readiness is doing there as well um holly fantastic so with um i guess your experience as a, as a teacher and also with readiness and your own business in the wellbeing space, what have you seen some of the best approaches that work with wellbeing in the classroom? Because as you know, and as we most of the listeners know, is that teachers get so much stuff they have to do in a day, whether that's in a primary school, high school. How do have you seen it best work in a, a school setting where um, wellbeing is included? Whether that's um, or basically, yeah, what have you seen that works really well considering a teacher's workload? Look, I think for me, and this is the way that I teach, I, and most teachers are the same, you need to really connect with your students. That's vital. So spending that time getting connected with them and being vulnerable. I'm a big believer in storytelling. Um, you know, in the business world, they're finally clued on that storytelling is how people remember things. Mm. So if you combine the storytelling and your vulnerability together, and that's what Hugh did so beautifully with the Reserves Project, what resonated with me is he, he was vulnerable and told his story. And that story stuck with me for mm. seven years. And I think students, they want to connect. They generally want to know their teacher because you spend so much time with them. So for me, for a really good wellbeing program to succeed, there has to be that connection and there has to be that storytelling and vulnerability because people are more open to more 
more likely to open up and share how they're feeling if they feel that the person who they're sharing it with has shared something with them as well. So that's probably the first thing that I think is really important. Yep. And then there's a couple of things that I think are really, really vital. So um, Martin Selman does some amazing stuff around character strengths. Mm. Um, I think, and I've seen this happen, I was in, with a group of um, educators and uh, one of the teachers had a year one class and he decided to try the character strengths as year one class. Yep. And this year one class did it and they got their top five character strengths and he had them displayed on their desk and the kids would actually refer to it and go, oh, Michael has a really good um, teamwork as his top skill. So maybe he can, you know, be in charge of this group. And they actually tapped in to their, their classmates' strengths, but also their own. So if they're one of, you know, um, kindness or whatever it was, they, they understood the concept. So the teacher really embraced that through every subject. So using something that the child can be proud of these are my top five character strengths so they have this belief in themselves this is what like you know and then he even looked at the lower ones and said okay so how can i improve these so that was a really good way of implementing a concept across an entire curriculum yep. um like we've talked about and like you've said action based is vital like it needs to be something that you you do so um i i love things where they involve you actually having to do something. So when I had my wellbeing program, it was very much a case of, I remember listening to your podcast, you talked about how children get sick of gratitude, like writing three things they're grateful for. Yeah, yeah. So it's like um, Dale talked about, and he, when you had the podcast, I think switching it up, no child is the same. No child learns the same way. No child, you know, what, what works for one will not work for the other. So allowing that freedom and giving them the variety to go, you know what? You can say it, you can sing it, you can write it, you can do whatever you want, as long as you're each day doing something that you are, like that, that is connecting you to that gratitude. So offering that sort of differentiation of how to achieve the same thing is really, really vital. And know, like, know what your students' strengths are. Know what works for them, what doesn't work for them. Some kids don't want to write something in a diary, but they're more than happy to have a conversation with a friend over it or, mm. you know, even mm. just think about it in their head. Um, so that is really important. I think um, that element of play and fun, I really, I, um, I was actually doing some research on one of my programs I was writing and I came across this one, it's such a random one, but it was from um, like Mary Poppins. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap the jobs again. Mm. And I think that if you can, I, I did it with my class in English and in maths and so, turn the learning into a game. So, okay, we're doing science and we're measuring things. Let's make, um, you know, cookie in a jar. And we're going to have to measure out the ingredients. We're going to have to put a QR code to have the um, recipe instead of writing it out. We're going to have to work out our marketing thing for English. Okay, so what sort of writing does it have to be? So turn your the child's learning into something that is a game or fun or they can engage in and do that with your well-being. So make it an enjoyable experience. Make that, you know, mindfulness activity. Like I know on Fridays, it was Friday well-being day and they each got to pick um, a song. So everyone put their favourite song in, we drew one out and we danced in the classroom <laughs> because that puts them in that moment. It literally, for three minutes, one child gets to have this they've chosen that makes them happy all the other kids are just flinging themselves around you can't not be in the moment when you're dancing it's almost impossible yeah. and 
you know, we'd watch we'd watch a video that was an uplifting video on a Thursday and we'd talk about the affirmation of it, like, you know, that feeling of someone achieving something or an athlete falling and another athlete going and picking them up and carrying them over the line and those, talk about those feelings that evoke. So really just exposing them to things that they're getting the concept, but it doesn't have to be reading it out to them and now you write something on it. So really mixing it up, I think, is vital in a approach to wellbeing that a child wants to be part of. And then... I guess the last few things are tiny habits. Try to attach whatever you're trying to do to something you already do. Yep. And um, celebrate your wins. Celebrate mm. when you achieve something and have others celebrate it with you. And one thing actually readiness do really lovely in their business side, which will be part of the schools program, is having an advocate or a buddy. Um, I think it's really nice to have someone that you trust. It doesn't have to be a teacher. It could be another student. It could be a different teacher. For me, probably would have been my PE teacher if I had to have a teacher choose. Yep. But have someone who is a trusted adult that you can check in with and they can check in with you to make sure that, you know, how you're feeling and what you're doing. It doesn't have to be someone just because they're your classroom teacher. You might have a better connection with the teacher from last year or, you know, someone else in the school. So that's that idea too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love, I love the what um, you've ideas or some suggestions there you've um, given because 100% agree with the variety. Like, as you say, so many students learn in all different ways. And making it fun as well, like through games and you're 100% right. Like I was at um, a school yesterday with year, or was year eights actually, but um, we played games with them. We played three games. We played an empathy game. We played a positive reflection game. We played a, a gratitude game and they're all fun. And we had the music blaring in the gym. And as you said, music, music's a massive thing. Like if you can um, have music in your learning, like particularly the wellbeing, it just lifts the energy in the room. Like it's incredible what music actually does, whether they're dancing or actually listening. There's, I think, a little tip that you mentioned, Holly, as well with music. And I totally concur with that. Um, music is a massive thing that can really help. And also the character strength. Like um, I think there were year one students you mentioned doing the character yeah. strengths. And that's a test that you can do online. Is that that's correct? It is. It's free. You literally just look up character strengths. It's um, You answer some questions. And I think as a teacher, it's great to have that because it's nice to be able to, like my character strength, my top character strength is kindness. Yep. And it's so funny because I naturally get all of my happy hormone hit from doing things for others. So yep. it's basically how I tap in really easily to my well-being because obviously one of the things with well-being is generosity and when you give back to others you get the same endorphins that they get from receiving it so by understanding what a child's 24 character strengths are if you know what their top one is then that's a really easy place to start to start building their well-being because they do it naturally so you attach a tiny habit to that top character strength and that's something that they then practice in those moments of getting that endorphin hit or getting the serotonin. Like some people, it's love. And it's love in the sense of they really understand connection. So for them, it's a hug that can make a difference in their day. You know, and that's the kind of thing I think is important. And I guess one thing I didn't mention, which I know you're very passionate about as well, is education isn't just in the classroom. Like a child's learning is like a triangle. It's them, their, like their teacher or classroom, and then their home. Mm. And parents really do want to be part of this. I find parents can struggle sometimes because they just don't know what to do. There's so much information out there that it becomes overwhelming. So the biggest thing with our program is we invite the teachers, uh, sorry, the parents to be part of it. Like when we finish a lesson, there's a teacher help thing. So if we're doing a lesson on 
for example, character strengths, the, the parents would get an email saying, why don't you fill in your own character strengths and then have a conversation at the dinner table over which ones you have in similarity or which ones you don't or how you can improve some of them. So it creates that communication, which again, in a child's wellbeing, it, you've got a connection. Oh, mum and I have the same character strengths in our top five or, you know, dad's is this, maybe that's why he's really good at that. So those conversations and it's, it doesn't have to be directly, we're not saying let's sit down and have a wellbeing conversation, but you're creating a conversation that is based in wellbeing. You're creating a link between the school, the home and the child that creates that connection, which I think is vital in anyone's wellbeing. You need to know you've got your people around you that understand and you can open up to. Oh, absolutely. That's actually a brilliant idea, that one. Like having, if you do the character strengths in class, Students find out theirs and then, as you say, suggest it to the family at home. It's a great conversation, isn't it? To, um, that's, right, have... that's what you want. Yeah. Like how many times, I don't know if you have kids, but my kids get in the car when I pick them up and it's like, how was your day? Fine. What did yeah. you do? Yeah. Nothing. So having that, oh my goodness, I heard you did your character strengths. What is it? And it's such a simple way to do it for a teacher. You know, you have a template, you send it out, the parent as part of the lesson. It's that idea that you want to connect with them. It's just that, you know, that's what you need. Oh, definitely. And it's funny you say that about or asking people how's your day. Oh, good. And that was it. And I actually, I still do that with my, I'm fully aware of it. Like you want to like expand or like well, as an adult, like somebody has your day, you want to expand. But my, if I go to my parents for dinner still as a fully grown adult and they ask that question, I always say, <laughs> still throwing out one word is to them. Still doing it, and I'm totally aware I need to expand and things like that. But sometimes you just have the mindset, oh, I just don't feel like explaining. I just want to yeah. talk about it. But anyway, it's um, it's an interesting point, even as an adult, I think. But it's, it comes around those um, those questions that you ask as well, like where, particularly for parents, I think having that tool of questions that, or I guess a tool kid, I should say, of questions that you can call on to ask instead of just saying, "How was your day?" You're going to get the answer. Good, we already know. And then it's off. Okay, we've got to go here. We've got to go there. And that's the end of the conversation. But if you can ask specific questions about, like, even if it's, oh, what was, this is a very average example, but what was your best part about your lunchtime today? What what did you do to have fun or whatever it is, but be more specific so they can actually think about it and respond in a, I guess, a bit more specific way and asking rather than asking a general question. But um, no, no, I agree. Yeah, it's it's but it's it's not it's just having it's just that awareness thing as well. Just remembering as an adult um, to ask those our young people the questions that get them mm. to think about different things, and also and, just go on, oh sorry, go on, Holly. I was and to listen. Like as a parent, you're busy, but I've made a real effort to be present when I when I have like when I'm with my kids because it's so easy to pick them up. Ask you know you're asking the question out of habit, not out of actual. Yes. want to know the answer so and there was a, a really interesting thing I read about children so when as an adult if I asked you a question if you don't give me an answer within about three seconds I almost feel the silence where when you ask a child a question like how are you feeling in their head what they're actually hearing in their head is oh what have they heard is there something how am I feeling oh my goodness do they know something I don't know so it takes them a good 10 seconds sometimes to actually understand that I don't think this is a trick question. I think they actually want to know how I'm feeling. Yeah. So as a teacher and as a parent, you've got to be really mindful not to fill the silence because the children 
just take a little bit longer to process because in their head, they're going through every scenario of why they're asking me this question, what have I done, how's it happened? Whereas an adult, it's sort of that instant, we're, we're on such a time thing, we just do it quickly. Yeah, I'm good, how are you? But we haven't actually considered the person. We've just yeah. asked it as a habit. It's a, That's what you do with a general sort of conversation. But yeah, it is interesting that I, I find that I've really tried to make an effort um, with students and with my own children to not rush the conversation and to give them time to process it without feeling that silence. Yeah, that's a really important, really important point you make there. And just going back to Holly, what you were saying about the the character strengths or um, values. So one thing that I reckon is a great activity to do in it with your class is creating, I guess, choosing one of your top five character strengths or even the number one one. But what you what a good activity to do is is actually create a character, like an actual draw a character or with some sort of software, create their own character and then write a description about what that means for them. So for example, um, or call yourself an empathy, empathy empathy elephant or something like that. So the idea is that you call yourself an empathy, empathetic elephant and you create your own little character of an elephant and then you write a description about what you want to be known for when it comes to that character strength. So um, maybe it's, um, I, I want to be known as an empathetic person. I listen to people. I put myself in other people's shoes. Um, this is the type of person I want to be. It's actually a really good activity to do to get them to, and, and also other students as well, to see what that person really wants to be known for um, as well. So just to build on that five character strengths is a really good activity to do. And um, coming up, got a book coming out soon. And uh, that activity is uh, certainly in the uh, book <laughs> for people. <laughs> even I think you even go further than that like once they've identified it have them share it because they should own that character strength mm, that's absolutely. part of who they are so being able to get up and show and other people celebrate that as well so when your classmates go you know what they are really empathetic or they are a real team like teamwork person I never see them you know whinge if they're not the first picked or they're always making sure that others in the group know what they're doing so I think celebrating those small wins but sometimes we look at the positive but not the negative and this is what Martin Selman talks about just because your strength 24 doesn't mean that it's not just as important it's just that you you naturally don't practice it so going to the group okay what's your 20 your bottom strength what can you do to maybe push it up the list a little bit and that's really you know good as well in that sense of oh actually I could do that couldn't I I could let's all encourage each other oh that person over there it's their top strength strength it's your bottom strength why don't we buddy up and see what you do to make you this and how i can get slightly better at it or make it more of a priority yeah brilliant i think yeah the character strength is such a good thing that leads can lead to so many different activities and exercises students can actually yep. and you can do it from a young age it's, mm. oh, it's open to all. yep 100 i love how the um the year ones that example you gave before the, the year ones that you were talking about uh, Holly, now, just before we do finish up, I, I loved our conversation. I just want to finish off by asking if there's anything else that you'd like to add or um, where people can reach out to you, uh, find you in the social media or online, um, and maybe one last tip to any um, teachers out there who are looking to improve on or build on what they're doing in the space of wellbeing in the classroom at the moment. Uh, well, yeah, um, readiness. So there's readiness.org.au is the um, place you can go to to find out about the free teacher self-care program. If you want to uh, do that, you can do it um, 
as a school or you can do it as an individual teacher as far as I'm concerned if one teacher benefits from it then you know it's served its purpose um, the schools program will be next year coming out next year so we'll have some information on the website about that which is exciting uh, LinkedIn I, I haven't quite hit the 500 plus yet so feel free to you know join my you know follow me or I can we can become LinkedIn friends yep, um, I'm always interested in talking to people who um, are like-minded and just want to you know know more about well-being um i think for teachers my biggest sort of piece of advice at the moment is be kind to yourself mm. like you don't have to be able to do everything all the time and you're allowed to say no you're allowed to if it doesn't align with who you are and what you're trying to achieve then don't be afraid to go you know what this isn't the best thing for me right now so if, as a teacher cut yourself a break and if it if it's not helping you and it's harming you then be brave enough to say you know what no, I can't do this right now, or I'll come back to it when I have more space. So as a teacher, I think that's really important to look after yourself first, because you can't help others if you can't, you know, if you don't feel well yourself. And then a bit like yours, action-based and make it fun. Enjoy, children learn more and they enjoy more when they're engaged in it. So try to, whatever it is, make it more exciting, make it more fun. And, you know, almost tap into to your inner child. Like what, what is it that you enjoy doing? What is it that you, you know, gets you curious and makes you want to do things? And that I think is really important to well-being succeeds when people are engaged and they are doing something that they really enjoy. And that's probably the, you know, the best recipe for success in my opinion. And routine, do it every day. Mm. Pick something little. It could be parking your car the furthest point away from the school in the car park. And that's your five minute walk into, or your two minute walk. It's two minutes you weren't gonna walk before. It doesn't have to be a giant step. It can be a little step. And it's the same with the kids. You know, you wanna, you know, expose them to more sunshine, then take your morning session out under the tree. Like whatever it is you choose, it doesn't have to be giant. It can be a small step to work you towards where you wanna be. Brilliant, no, great advice, Holly. And um, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. And then we'll put those links uh, to readiness.org.au and also your LinkedIn um, via the show notes. And um, really appreciate you having or having you on today, Holly. And um, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I've loved it. Excellent. Thanks, Holly. Bye.